Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Chris, again, it's just you and me here. Uh, Peter is off in uh, Walt Disney World covering the uh, Rise of the Resistance ride. Uh, Brad is off today. HT is still on vacation. She comes back tomorrow. And Jacob is dealing with a, a family crisis. Um, nothing too serious, I hope. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's down to us to talk about uh, the latest film and TV news. So let's just dive right into it and uh, kick things off with the latest Marvel movie trailer. So this morning, the trailer for Black Widow came online. Uh, Chris, what did you make of this trailer? Uh, it really did not impress me. Um, Man, so I'm really disappointed to hear you say that because it didn't impress me either, and I was hoping that at least we would have one of us on on the side of being able to argue for this thing. But go ahead. I mean, it just it feels like... On, on, you know, uh, bottom line is it feels like this movie is too late. Like, this should have come out, like, f- like six years ago. And I don't know, the, the dialogue is really clunky. I mean, I like the cast, you know, despite her uh, her ongoing um, troubles with the things she says. I, I tend to like Scarlett Johansson as an actress. Um, Florence Pugh is great. Uh, David Harbour is great. Rachel Weiss is great. These are all very good actors so i'm sure they'll they'll do the best they can but this really did very little to impress me but maybe you know it's still early it's not out for you know till like may of next year so there's plenty of time to release a new trailer that looks better yeah i think that's kind of where i'm falling as well i i feel like i have faith that this movie is going to be much much better than this trailer makes it out to be i just think it's i don't know i just the way it it all is cut together i think a lot of it has to do with the dialogue that you were talking about too like and then just like the the big like you know holy shit shots in this thing are like at the very end like black widows just like falling through the sky and debris is everywhere and it just looks you know kind of weightless and cheap like i i thought marvel had um you know evolved past that point it it seems like a throwback 
to, you know, you're saying this movie should have been made six or seven years ago. It kind of looks like it was made six or seven years ago in terms of like the stuff that we actually see in this trailer. But I, I agree. The cast is so great. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the idea of this movie, even if it is a little late. I just, I hope that it's better than, <laughs> than what we got here. So, yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about the, uh, Planet of the Apes franchise. This thing came to what we thought was a close with, uh, War. Is that the right one? War for the Planet of the Apes was the last yes, one? Yes. That's the, that's okay. the last one. The confusingly named, uh, franchise <laughs> entries there. Um, but, uh, yeah, now a new one is apparently in the works. And now that this franchise is under the, the Disney Disney banner. Uh, it seems like Disney is not interested in letting the Planet of the Apes go away forever. So what's going on here? Yeah, um, we don't know a whole lot. We just know that there's a new Planet of the Apes movie in the work and that Wes Ball, who directed the three um, Maze Runner movies, which I have never seen, but I've heard actually are pretty good for you know what they are. He is going to develop and direct this one. Um, it's really not clear if this is like a whole new reboot or if this is somehow tied to the most recent reboot. I, I don't know, but um, I, I guess we'll see. Yeah. So uh, let's just say spoilers for war for the planet of the apes coming up right now. So this is your last chan- chance to fast forward a few minutes or click away or, or what have you uh, go actually watch those movies because I think they're really, really terrific. But um, Chris, at the end of that movie, uh, Caesar, the main character played by Andy Serkis, his character dies. So do you think that there is a way forward in, you know, to continue that story? Because I think if I'm remembering right, uh, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the original Planet of the Apes was set in uh, a t- at a point on the timeline that was a little bit further down, where like the ape civilization was more advanced uh, than what we saw in War for the Planet of the Apes. So theoretically, there is still uh, some room to draw a line between those two points and maybe tell another story in that period. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean, if you want to consider that these movie that the the Andy Circus movies are meant to be prequels to the the Charlton Heston franchise then yeah that sort of works i I said in my post that you know you could sort of have this continue the story by jumping forward even you know further in time and showing the beginnings of that ape society or you could just jump even further and start like a whole new thing where it's like you know the the charlton hess movie the apes even though they've evolved they're still living in sort of like you know a primitive looking world whereas in the original the planet of the apes novel the apes are like wearing suits and driving cars and stuff like that. So oh, I was really, saying, yeah. So they could even like try something like that where it jumps really far into the future where the apes are, you know, working ape jobs and stuff like that. I don't, I don't know how you make that exciting, but I guess you could find a way. Interesting. I, have you ever read that, uh, the book? I didn't even realize that there was a book. No, I have never read the book. It's from 1968, I believe, or something like that. But I know that's how the book is. And, and the Tim Burton movie sort of tried to, pay homage to that with it's really terrible ending where Mark Wahlberg ends up back when what looks like present day, but like there's an ape's head on the Lincoln Memorial. And stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I really loved what, um, what uh, Rupert Wyatt and Matt Reeves did with the, you know, the most recent apes trilogy. Um, you know, I, I didn't really have, I think I've only seen the Charlton Heston original. I know there's like a bunch of movies in that franchise, but I, I was never interested enough to check those out, but I did watch the, you know, all three entries in the newest trilogy. And I, I was like pleasantly surprised by all of them. Every single one of them was better than I thought it was going to be going into it. So I think there is still, 
maybe some material left to mine with this franchise and especially you know under like i said under the disney umbrella we know that they're gonna like squeeze this thing for everything it's worth so um yeah west ball as as the director is interesting because I, and again i wish we had somebody on this podcast episode who had seen the maze runner movies who could maybe speak to his directorial talents but i've i've also heard really really great things about uh, him as a filmmaker and like I think he was going to be making the Mouse Guard movie if I'm remembering that right and people were very excited about that because they thought that uh, you know he'd showed uh, tremendous potential behind the camera and on those Maze Runner films um, I actually have like a box set of all of the Maze Runner movies sitting in my living room I just need to actually sit you know get around to watching those one of these days so maybe I can <laughs> uh, informatively comment on West Ball's uh, directorial career but uh, in the meantime I guess we should just move on to our next story which is that uh, the full Studio Ghibli film library is going to be available to purchase on digital platforms this month. So this is sort of a surprising uh, piece of information here. So G-Kids, which is the North American distributor for Ghibli movies, uh, announced in a press release yesterday, like out of nowhere, that, hey, by the way, uh, we're going to be making all of the Studio Ghibli movies available for download for the very first time on all major transactional platforms, Apple TV, Amazon, VOD, Vudu, Google Play, Sony, Microsoft, Fandango Now, all sorts of stuff. And uh, I think all of these movies are gonna cost $20 each. Um, so yeah, this is the first time this ever happened. I think we we talked, uh, it was funny if, you know, longtime listeners of the show may remember us having this big conversation about Studio Ghibli movies and how their, their films were never going to be released digitally. And then I think it was maybe like the next day or the day right after that, uh, that HBO Max, the new streaming service from uh, Warner Media, announced that they had acquired the rights to stream all of the Studio Ghibli movies. But this is the first time they're going to be made available to actually purchase uh, in, in digital form for people. Um, Chris, I know this is like one of your cinematic blind spots, all of this, uh, the whole Studio Ghibli catalog. So w- what do you make of this? Are you interested in the idea of being able to purchase these? Oh, and I should say too, that uh, in terms of like when you can access this stuff, it's going to be December 17th, like you know, two weeks from now, basically, and and the HBO Max deal doesn't even kick in until, you know, next year sometime after HBO Max launches. So people who have been waiting around to watch um, Ghibli stuff on in a digital manner uh, do not have very long to wait at all. So um, back to you, Chris, the the what are your uh, your plans to catch up on this, if anything? Uh, I'm certainly not going to pay ten dollars a movie. I'll probably I think it wait was twenty. I think yeah, they say Uh-oh. suggested retail price of nineteen ninety nine each. No, that's even worse. Yeah, I'll just wait until they're on HBO Max or whatever it's going to be called, and I'll watch them there. That's kind of what I was thinking too. Like, I, I feel like the uh, especially for somebody who you know like us are are trying to you know slowly make our way through these things and and are not. Um, are not like uh, wouldn't be purchasing a title that we already are familiar with and we know that we love. Um, it, it just seems like the safer choice to uh, to you know stream them individually on HBO Max. But then again, you're having having to pay for another uh, streaming service. But I don't know. I think we're we're rapidly heading toward that time where uh, all of these streaming services are basically going to be like requirements to be able to keep up with all of these major things in pop culture. So we'll have to continue to navigate that as best as best we can as we move into 2020 and beyond. Um, let's talk a little bit about Star Wars, Chris, because uh, you know it's December now, and that means we're going to be bombarded with all things Star Wars from now until the moment the Rise of Skywalker comes out. So J.J. Uh, Abrams has been doing more interviews, uh, and he actually talked a little bit about 
what we can expect from the rise of Skywalker. He's, he mentioned that, uh, obviously everybody, you know, the fandom's attention has been on Ray and her backstory, wondering who her parents are. And, uh, apparently Abrams and Chris Terrio, the co-writer are also taking the time to fill in some of the gaps for the rest of the main cast members as well, in terms of their backstory. So he says, uh, in this interview with Vanity Fair, Finn's story is part of the story of this movie. It was alluded to in episode seven, but there's a bit more light shed on that. In this one, I would say that each of the characters get more light shed on their histories. I'm not saying we get full exhaustive downloads on all their childhoods and every major step that got them to where they are, but there are a lot of questions about Finn's past, about Poe's past, obviously Rey and Kylo, and then some of the new characters we meet as well. So that was Abram's quote there. Um, Chris, I'm just wondering what you think about this, because my first thought on reading this quote was like, I don't know if I need to know about like more about Finn's backstory and Poe's backstory. I, I kind of love the fact that these are new characters that we don't have all of their uh, pasts filled in. But what do you think? Uh, I guess it, it all depends on how it's handled. Like if, um, I, you know, if, if it is done in a <laughs> organic way and, and, uh, not like hitting you over the head way. Like, I don't need to know every single thing about these characters. I'm okay with a lot of their, their, their histories remaining in the dark, but if it's like one or two things, then sure. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like, I guess, um, it's, it's, we're talking in so vague terms that like, I won't know what I don't want to see until it's force fed to me, <laughs> you know? And like, then, then when I'm actually sitting there watching the movie, I can actually roll my eyes and be like, ah, why are we watching this? <laughs> or be, I could be surprised by like, oh wow, this actually fills in something with this character that, that like enriches the experience. But my fear here, Chris, is that uh, Abrams has talked so much about how the rise of Skywalker is this conclusion, not only to this new trilogy, but for, you know, all of the eight films that have come before it. And I just, you know, anytime he mentions something like, oh, let's fill in a little bit of Poe's backstory. And, you know, he says something like that, along with all of these comments about how this movie is the culmination of all of the eight films that have come before. My mind immediately goes to like, oh, God, are we going to find out that like Poe is actually related to somebody else that we, you know, that we've seen in these movies, um, that kind of thing. So uh, I guess it's it's kind of fruitless to pose that question to you. Like, what would you think if if Poe was related to somebody or whatever? But yeah, um, that, that I would not be a fan. That's the one thing I really I mean, one of the many things I don't like about the prequels, how like. Like, ah, Yoda and Chewbacca knew each other. And, ah, Anakin built C-3PO. It's yeah. like, oh, my God, stop it. I, I, it was like, there's no reason to have all that interconnectedness. And I don't I don't need it for this. So I hope they don't do that. Yeah, I wonder if we're just going to have to wait until, you know, the franchise really moves on from from this Skywalker saga um, to, to really get that freedom that we seem to be yearning for in the Star Wars galaxy. Um, what I'm saying is I wouldn't be surprised if we find out something like that because Abrams is such, you know, has hammered home that point so many times about how this is like the closing of the circle on the Skywalker saga. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. We, I guess we don't have too much longer to wait. Um, but yeah, and, and I guess speaking of Star Wars, uh, this morning we got word from StarWars.com that a new Star Wars-themed game show is coming to Disney+. Plus. So this game show is called uh, Star, Wars Jedi Tem uh, Star Wars Jedi Temple Challenge. <laughs> Say that like five times fast. And uh, it's going to be hosted by Ahmed Best, who played Jar Jar Binks in the prequel trilogy. 
in this game show, which is set in a galaxy far, far away, whatever that means, uh, it's going to be testing young contestants' abilities in the core Jedi principles of strength, knowledge, and bravery as they face thrilling and fun obstacles in an attempt to achieve the rank of Jedi Knight. Um, Ahmad Best is going to be playing uh, a Jedi Master and mentor to the young contestants, and he's going to be joined by a hilarious humanoid droid companion voiced by Mary Holland. She's uh, an actress who's on shows like Veep, and she is a, uh, an active member of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. I've seen her a bunch of times in like comedy shows out here in LA, and she's really great. So um, she has a, a lot of uh, improv talent. So I feel like. Uh, and Best does too as well. I mean, he's you know he's an actor, a dancer, a martial arts guy. Um, he was a, a musician uh, in the the um, popular show Stomp. So I feel like he can handle pretty much anything that's going to be thrown his way, which is like obviously an essential an essential skill for any sort of uh, great game show host. Um, Chris, what do you think about this? I, I know in our Slack channel earlier you were like, wait. Jedi Temple challenges this is like a Legends of the Hidden Temple, but you know Star Wars related. If if it is end up, you know if it does end up, uh, I guess resembling that in its final form, is that something that you would be interested in checking out now? Uh, I mean, I don't. I I loved Legends of the Hidden Temple when I was a kid. I don't know how I feel about the, the this. I mean. <laughs> I guess it could be fun. I don't know. It's it's throwing me off that like they're all like playing characters on the show. Like that's such a weird thing for a game show. Like usually game show hosts are just themselves. The fact that it's like, ah, he's playing a Jedi master and there's a robot. Like oh, that's very weird to me, but it, I don't know. It might be all right. Yeah. It says that uh, it's going to be taking place in three locations, a forest planet on board, a Jedi star cruiser and inside a Jedi temple. So, I mean, you know, for the contestants, I feel like that would be really cool, like being able to run through those environments and, and interact. So, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I was right there with you. Like, uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple and those Nickelodeon game shows were a big part of my childhood. I wonder, though, how much of that was because how, how much of that shared experience our generation has and, and, and like, the fondness for those types of properties was only because of the limited selection we had at the time. Like now that the entertainment landscape is so splintered and everybody is being delivered their niche interests in all of these, you know, hyper-focused ways. I wonder if a show like this, even though it sounds like basically the same kind of thing, but just with a star Wars, uh, shine over it, if that is going to be able to catch on and have like the same sort of, lasting impact um uh, i don't even know if that's the right word but you know to be able to make the same impression on you know this current generation as uh those shows did for us what do you think about that yeah i don't know kids these days let me tell you i I don't i don't understand them so i don't know (laughs) (laughs) all right i think uh i think that's going to bring us to the end of today's slash film daily it's a a short one today but we have a bunch of good stuff up at slashfilm.com you can uh go check that site out i would encourage you to do that you can find out more about all the stuff that we mentioned on today's show uh linked inside the show notes of this episode i'm not entirely certain what the publishing schedule of this podcast is going to be for the for the remainder of the week thanksgiving sort of threw us off a little bit we had that that sort of uh, extra episode on that went up on Sunday, so that may buy us some time, and, and we might not have an episode tomorrow, because I'm going to be out tomorrow covering the Rise of Skywalker press conference, so um, yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll see, and Peter's still going to be gone, so we'll see what happens. We may not have a, a traditional episode tomorrow, but I think the, the plan as of right now is to at least do a water cooler episode on Thursday, and then maybe another um, Star Wars, uh, another uh, Mandalorian episode on Friday, so uh, stay tuned for that. 
Um, Chris, before we go, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, I'm at SlashFilm.com every day, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. I am also at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And again, yeah, you can find all the stories that we mentioned at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll talk to you next time.